0: Mosley described the event as a humiliation. One of them actually went over to the anti-fascists. It was an incredibly dramatic moment and it was a real turning point in the fight against fascism in Britain.
1: Hello, I'm Natasha Unconde.
2: And I'm George Woods. And welcome to Stories of Struggle. We're a new podcast and we're about looking at inspiring moments from Britain's radical past. The protests, the social movements and the campaigns that change the way we live now. And also, crucially, asking what can we learn from them as people who care about social justice today.
1: So in this, our first ever episode, we're going to be learning about the Battle of Cable Street, which took place in the streets of East London almost 80 years ago.
2: The Battle of Cable Street was a confrontation between the ordinary people at the East End versus Oswald Mosley, the leader of the British Union of Fascists, um, and a whole army of uh, street fighting uh, racist thugs behind him. It's a moment in October 1936 that has changed so much of what came afterwards in terms of anti-racist and anti-fascist campaigning.
1: Stories of struggle.
3: Passing the Tower of London, five thousand fascists rally to their mobilization for the much advertised march through the East End. And Sir Oswald Mosley, blackshirt leader, arrives at Royal Mint Street to inspect his followers. Then the lives In of the great, great nations. nations comes the moment of decision. Comes the moment of destiny. Communists, laborites, I'm and Jews dance the fascist group. Successfully petitioned the Home Office to prevent the pass. First day we go forward to action! In step there, thousands of East Anglos prepared to resist the invasion, barricading the path the fascists would take
1: learn more about this tumultuous and dark part of London's history we spoke to David Rosenberg he's an expert in London's radical history, he leads amazing walking tours around East London he's written a book on the Battle of Cable Street and his new book Rebel Footprints has just been published we wanted to ask him why the events of that day in 1936 were so important to our lives now Hi David, welcome to Stories of Struggle. We're really excited to have you joining us. What is it about the Battle of Cable Street that so captures your interest?
0: It was an incredibly dramatic moment, and it was a real turning point in the fight against fascism in Britain. On that day, there was a people's victory, where 4,000 fascists, Oswald Mosley's black shirts, were prevented from invading the East End by the presence of around 200,000 anti-fascists. And this was at a time when fascism was on the march, not only here, but in several European countries, and it was a real setback for them. And it took place in an area, which was the area where my family were living at that time. And I, I grew up with stories about it. And also I've spoken to many of the participants, a number of participants from that day.
2: So, David, I think we need to get a sense of what life was like for ordinary East Londoners in the 1930s. It was hard for people, yeah?
0: It was very hard. There was high unemployment and those that were in work, their employment was very precarious. They were on very low wages. People were really poor. The housing conditions were terrible and they were at the mercy of slum landlords. There was hardly any social housing. People were angry, frustrated. They felt powerless to change their conditions. And, then, and there was nobody who was speaking for them. And yet they lived just a stone's throw from all the wealth in the city of London.
1: It must have been easy in that situation for fascism to become popular?
0: Well, the economic crash of the late 1920s, the early 30s, increased the poverty and misery of the people there in the East End. And that had both political and psychological effects. The political effects, they lost faith in the established politicians the psychological effects was a sense of hopelessness a kind of loss of identity and Mosley exploited that he told them they could feel good about themselves again they could feel they were part of a great movement and he basically tried to win one section of impoverished east enders against another he blamed the problems affecting particularly the irish community of the east end on the jews and he also made a really powerful appeal to young people. He was offering them, he said, the chance to play their part in the nation, not just in times of war, but in times of peace.
2: Now, I've got here a copy of the Daily Mail. It's from 1934. It basically reads like an advert for the black shirts, And we'll make the image available on the Stories of Struggle a Twitter account uh, for our listeners to look at um, after this. But my question is this, was the whole media this biased at the time?
0: It wasn't biased against, it wasn't all biased against the Jews, but it was biased very much against the left. The Daily Mail, which was the most widely read newspaper in those years, was particularly favourable to the British Union of Fascists in 1934. It was advocating for them, it was telling their readers, this is how you can join the British Union of Fascists. Um, But Mos but Mosley and Rothermere had a falling out later in 1934 and it was a bit less supportive after that but the mainstream Tory press like the Times and the Telegraph they shared Mosley's anti-left ideas but they were also worried about by him because they thought he might eat into the sort of Tory votes. And right, okay,
2: so it was in that climate that Oswald Mosley and the British Union of Fascists, they announced their intention to march into the East End. So why did they do that?
0: There were basically two purposes. They wanted to make a show of strength to their supporters and to their potential supporters in the area where they were growing most rapidly. And at the same time, they wanted to strike fear into the Jewish community who they considered their principal enemy. They had built four powerful branches of the movement in Shoreditch, Bethnal Green, Bowen, Limehouse. These were areas that completely encircled the Jewish ghetto in Whitechapel. And that day, they wanted to invade those areas. They wanted to march right through them and have four meetings at the end of that invasion. And Mosley would hop from one to the other.
1: But things didn't go as Mosley had planned, right? So tell us what happened on Cable Street that day.
0: OK. Before saying exactly on the day, I have to say something from the week before, because the anti-fascist movement had started to get organised in a major way. The leading bodies in that were the Communist Party, the Independent Labour Party, Labour League of Youth and a militant grassroots movement in the Jewish community called the Jewish People's Council. And they were mobilising people to stop Mosley and they petitioned the Home Secretary. In two days, they got nearly 100,000 signatures on a petition, Jews and non-Jews calling on the Home Secretary not to allow the march to take place. But the Home Secretary, on the basis of free movement and free speech, says the march is going to take place and, he's, and he sends 7,000 police to clear a path for Mosley. The anti-fascists said, well, if the government won't ban the march, we will have to ban the march.
3: Incensed by black shirt, anti-red, anti-Jew propaganda, 5e then unsuccessfully petitioned the Home Office to forbid the march. Now the crowd take matters into their own hands.
0: In order to get through into those streets where the Jewish community were living and get to the destinations, he had to pass through what was called Garden's Corner, which was at Allgate. And there was a massive blockade. Tens of thousands of people completely blockaded every entrance and exit at Gardeners. And the police said to Mosley, you will not get through at Gardeners, you will have to go further south if you're going to enter the East End. But the anti-fascists had worked out that in advance, that further south they could come in at Cable Street. And in Cable Street, They had barricades.
3: Thousands of East Enders prepared to resist the invasion, barricading the path the fascists
0: would take. They put up barricades, and when the police tried to break through, at one point they thought they had, but then they got stuck in front of another barricade. And the women in the tenement flats picked up everything that came to hand and rained it down on the police until they retreated. And in the end, the police had to say to Mosley, "You're not going to get through here either." In the course of these events, 84 people were arrested. 79 of them were anti-fascists. A lot of people needed hospital treatment. It was, you know, it was a, a major, major, major confrontation.
3: Firm action by the commissioner and his men undoubtedly averted bloodshed on a scale more terrible than London has ever witnessed.
1: And Tell us what changed after the 4th of October 1936. It's obviously had a big impact for the working class and Jewish communities. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think one of the crucial things that changed was the effects it had on the fascist movement as well as the anti-fascist movement because a week later in their newspaper The Black Shirt, Mosley described the event as a humiliation and that was a word he would never normally use about his party he was always saying how great they were, what they were achieving, but he described it as a humiliation, he swore revenge and in fact they recruited just after Cable Street, they recruited a lot of young people who were up for fight, up for a bit of action, but they were not ideological recruits, they got bored. The more significant thing is that in the months following the Battle of Cable Street, the people who were in Mosley's inner circle started arguing with each other, blaming each other, front-stabbing as well as back-stabbing, and a number of them left and abandoned the movement. One of them, the leader of the Shoreditch branch of the fascists, actually went over to the anti-fascists, and in the late 30s was writing leaflets and pamphlets exposing the fascist movement. For the anti-fascists, it was such a confidence boost that they knew after Cable Street that if they stayed organised, they could actually defeat the fascists. So David, right, you've been a
2: lifelong anti-fascist and campaigner um, and this is where really the story becomes personal to you because um, I mean you were involved in organising against the National Front in the 1970s which was sort of like a successor organisation um, to Mosley's fascists. So what is knowing about Cable Street and everything that happened that day, what has that meant for you and your political activism?
0: I mean I grew up with stories of Cable Street in my family in the fight against fascism. My granddad, like a number of young Jewish men in the East End at that point did boxing. Um, And he used to tell me even before I was old enough to ride a bike about altercations with fascists and knocking them out with his punches. My mum grew up in Bethnal Green, very, very near to the local headquarters of the fascists. and, And she saw them very frequently. Also, I grew up in a family where I was very conscious that we were immigrants. My grandparents were immigrants. I grew up with a very strong anti-racist and anti-fascist consciousness. And the first demonstration, political demonstration I went on in my life was an anti-fascist demonstration when I was about 17 years old in 1975. And the National Front were marching from Smithfield to, to Trafalgar Square. But also in that period, you had the growth of the anti-nazi league you had rock against racism and i marched on the first major anti-nazi league march to victoria park in the east end and that was the first rock against racism carnival and that day we felt that the streets belonged to us and the fascists were starting to, to 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 lose support
1: Now, as you said, the events of that day have become such a huge source of inspiration for anti-racist and anti-fascist campaigners. And it's really clear to me listening to you that there's so many parallels with the Islamophobia that's currently surging across the country. What can we learn from Cable Street to help us support our struggles today?
0: One of the crucial things that the anti-fascists achieved in the 1930s is that they managed to unite the very communities that the fascists try to divide against each other. If the fascists had succeeded it in making it the, the white community of the East End against the Jews, then the anti-fascists wouldn't have succeeded. It was the fact that the Irish community and the Jewish community came together to stop Mosley. And the the anti-fascists consciously brought those people into an alliance. And I really think that today in terms of situations like Rotherham, you know, if you get a situation where it's kind of angry whites versus the Muslim community, that is going to be, that that is very problematic. It's really important that the response to those far right forces is a united, multicultural community resistance. And I think that kind of unity that was forged is is the kind of unity that can actually defeat the the, the racists and fascists today.
2: David, it's been great. Thank you ever so much for being our first ever guest speaker uh, on Stories of Struggle. Listeners uh, who want to find out more about what David's been talking about, please do check out our Twitter account. Uh, That's at S-T-R-S of Struggle. Uh, Stories of Struggle. There's more material links that you can find out there. Stories of
1: Struggle. Stories of Struggle is a brand new podcast delving into protests and social movements in Britain's radical past, unearthing the lessons for today's campaigners, activists and community organisers.
2: If you've got an idea for a subject we could cover, let us know on Twitter.